This week on Invasion of the Podcast, we continue our trek through the year of canon and look at 1985's Runaway Train, and two words I never thought I would say, Oscar nominated? Two kids looking for a new thrill. Steve. He is the most feared and powerful warrior. And Paul. A strong-willed woman who knows what she wants and just how to get it. But this time, the thrill went too far. Their target, Canon Films. The home of high-powered, high-voltage motion picture entertainment. With the screen's biggest spectacles, brightest stars, and boldest lineup of explosive entertainment. We're taking motion picture excitement over the edge and your box office over the top. We're Canon Films, and we're Dynamite. And it's that time again. It's more Year of Canon. I, I am Paul, and to my left is Steve. Hello, everyone. I, I, I wasn't a, a, a tough warrior that, you know, whatever. I don't know. I, I made the intro. I don't remember what I said about you. Like, you know, <laughs> I think it was a powerful warrior. A powerful warrior. And I, I was going to say a tough warrior that knows what he wants and how to get it. I'm like, that's not... That's not accurate. No. Um, so yeah, we're um, more than halfway through our year of canon, and it's been it's been an interesting journey to say the least, uh, because we've been through. There's always a certain amount of excitement for these films because we talked about previously where there is like, oh, I remember having a lot of fun with this as a kid. This movie is awesome. It was over the top. It, there was a film called Over the Top. It was over the top as well. And then then we get to this one, which is um, I picked this one in particular because I knew Steve had not seen it. And also, I, I wanted to kind of revisit this film, uh, 1985's Runaway Train, because it it's not, um, considering what was coming out in 85, 86, this is not the typical uh, like film Canada would put out in wide release. So um, it has a lot of the, the things that you know would initially draw canon to it, and we'll talk about those too. But like this is this is a, l- a little different animal than the things that we've seen for the first six months. Oh, this is a completely different animal. Yeah. You, I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, as we get into the discussion, obviously we'll talk about the differences, but um, it's uh, a strong. It's. It's a drama. It's a strong-willed film that uh, yeah, knows well, what it wants and how to get it. I mean, it's it's a, a prison break drama, um, and it's not that you know prison break drama is its own category, but um, I, I'm 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 all kerfuffled now. I don't know how to describe it, but well, like it's it it's not you know uh, ninjas fighting in a cockfighting ring. It's not. <laughs> Uh, it's not people putting uh, triangles in their head and doing the bim. It isn't. Yeah, uh, it's not somebody getting their coke sh- uh, nose uh, shoved through the straw. Or no, I mean there is one one act of violence that feels like it would have belonged to a Death yeah. Wish movie, and we'll get to that a little bit. Um, I just want to point out, Steve, that I decided to buy some Alaskan beer that's brewed in Alaska. Oh, nice! That was probably shipped here on a train 
that um, hopefully it, it, it stopped. Did not run away. <laughs> no, yeah. So I figured this be appropriate to drink an Alaskan beer because this film uh, is set in Alaska. But yeah, we'll get let's get into a little bit behind it and then we'll talk about the film. Because um, as Steve and I are texting back about this, like he was like, ah, that's a really interesting ending, and, and we'll discuss that when we get there. I was like, yeah, it's going to be a weird talk of us discussing a film that's not bad. <laughs> like, I mean, like we like we watch like you know the new stuff. Like we watch you know Far From Home. We've seen Ma. We like those are movies in the theater we're actively wanting to go see. Yeah. Not that we not want to actively watch this other stuff, but in terms of like the year of the knockoff that they did last year, and then year of Canon, we're, I'm drawn to some of this because of the swing and the miss. And this is not a swing and a miss, right? So this is going to be our shortest show we've ever done. <laughs> it's going to be like. Good. Just moving along. We're done here. No, uh, no. So this film, uh, Runaway Train 85, uh, released, it was released December 6th, 1985, and very limited release because uh, they wanted to get it uh, in contention for the Oscars for 85. And we'll talk a little bit more uh, about what happened there. Uh, so I, I use that as a release date because I had a wide release uh, um, January 17th and 86 after. But so things that um, were pertinent at the time number one song uh that friday was uh, separate lives by phil collins and marilyn martin don't know that one uh the week after that would be broken wings by mr mr nice um number one film at this this point is probably still number one after the weekend rocky four yeah that's where we're at with that um speaking of a movie that's just great and i love it dearly that i could go about for hours would be rocky four but i feel like that'd be had it been a canon film, it would have been. It probably would have pushed Runaway Train out of this spot this month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and so um, I couldn't find any news like related. However, something really important happened on the fifth, so the day before this film was released in December '85. Frankie Muniz was born. Oh so, wow! Mr. Malcolm, who would one day be in the middle, uh, was born the day before this film came out. So I don't know. And again, I don't know that my facts are correct, so this could be completely wrong, and I might I'm have waiting for you to be like, up. no, Paul, Frankie Muniz was born at 14 months, <laughs> seven days, six hours after that. No. Get um, your Muniz facts right. I, I'd read something somewhere that he had an accident after Malcolm in the Middle and doesn't remember it, and like he's he, got like severe memory loss. He does. And, he does have some memory issues, okay. and that's why you don't really see him... like. Do it like it's just he. The things went bad for him, and I and I don't want to you know make light of that. I know there was a point. What was it like a year or two ago? He had to leave the country to go overseas for a funeral, and while he was away, his cat like he had like like a townhouse or something. His cat turned on the water like by accident, and they flooded his townhouse. So it's oh like on top of already having you know yeah. a difficult life, and then going away for a funeral, his cat destroys his house, and like you know. I want to. I want to make the joke that life is unfair, but that would be a horrible thing to say. Well, I just, I didn't mean to bring it up in the sense of like, oh, it's funny. I just meant in the sense that, like, well, this weird. I, you're fact not bringing about it up. Him. You're not bringing up as funny. I made a horrible Malcolm Middle joke, and then you know, and I decided to do that. Well, so. have you ever had that thing where you believe a fact about somebody, and then you find out like it was completely wrong? Like, I think that's called the Mandela effect. I think that's like, <laughs> no, no, seriously, okay. like. Like there's a thing where like you people you hear something you're like oh yeah that makes sense and then everybody just believes it and you're like no that's not accurate at all like what's the name of the the Shaquille O'Neal genie movie? It's uh, uh it's Kazam. 
It is Kazam, but everybody thinks it's called Shazam. Oh, yeah. Well, um, I mean, I was talking more in the sense of like the Richard Gere gerbil story. But. Well, I mean, well, that is true. I don't know if that's true <laughs> or not. Uh, no, but no, it's just, yeah. So Mandela effects more of like a common knowledge misassociation, but you're right, okay. as opposed to you hear the rumor of like, oh, did you hear Marilyn Manson was actually Paul from the Wonder Years? Is that what you're talking I've about? I've heard that. Yeah, I've heard that many times. We know it was Winnie Cooper was Marilyn Manson. We know it was uh, <laughs> uh, oh, Dancia, uh, what was her name? Dancia Keller? Something. McKellar? Yeah, is it Dancia? I it was like Danica. Oh, whatever. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Well, it's, I like that I make a joke about not getting things right and immediately not getting anything right. So, <laughs> all right. Anyway, Frankie Muniz, day before Runaway Train came out. Um, so, this was directed by Andre, Andre, uh, Kona. Joe Chalofsky. I'm going to mess that up. I apologize. They say his name, I believe, in the trailer we'll play for the film. Are you worried he's going to listen? No, I just, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's a very Russian name, and I couldn't even say no, the name Andre right, and it's like, I don't want to mess it up. Um, you know, after, I mean, considering that the number one film right now was Rocky Four with Ivan Drago, that's a pretty straightforward Russian name, I could say. Sure. You know, but not this. I feel bad. Uh, this guy's still actively working as a director. He's written a lot of stuff. Um, he did some other canon films during this time, but he's probably most famous to you for directing Tango and Cash. Why did you say it like that? Like, you've seen Tango you're and Cash. uncultured. No, like, you've seen his other Russian important films, right? But you have you seen the the Russian film Tango and Cash? I have seen Tango and Cash. So yeah. when I was looking at his IMDb, I was like, "Well, that's weird." I'm like, "This doesn't really fit with the rest of his filmography." But I mean, at that time, I mean, getting offered something like that would have been huge. Yeah, you and- got Stallone and Kurt Russell, and you know, it's what like late '80s, early '90s, like it was the the pinnacle for those types of films i think yeah and plus also i mean he clearly shows he knows how to direct action and and still keep everything kind of clear and understanding you know so sure you know um i mean that's almost like saying christopher nolan like whenever he was given the 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 ability to do the first batman it's like oh that's the guy that made memento like why would he be able to do batman you know like so i don't know i mean you're right and i mean this guy's there's these directors that have a career where they obviously work on all sorts of different genres, so maybe they don't they aren't known for like, you know, like work in one area. And this guy sounds like he's just been like just still going at it. I'm sure he Well I'm, Yeah. It's funny that you say that. I was looking on Facebook earlier today and one of the horror groups that I'm in, somebody was asking if uh Oh, I don't even remember which director it was that they were talking about now, but uh they were like, Would you consider this person a horror director? And I didn't respond, but in my head I'm like directors don't want to you know like they may love horror but like talk to any horror director they love all genres Mm -hmm. like they don't want to just be i mean i shouldn't say that i'm sure there are some who are very happy doing it you know for the rest of their lives but you know it's like categorizing somebody as like oh he's just the horror guy or oh he's just the you know the 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 comedy guy or yeah you know, well like even Wes craven he had to, he wanted to make that was a music from another room music music of the heart i believe oh okay sure see i'm i'm batting a thousand right now with dates i'm glad i have some of the stuff written down but uh, but either way he wanted to make like a film that was not a horror film right and, and uh, the point and, i was he, just making is he made another director. film that wasn't a horror film called vampire in brooklyn <laughs> Like, which is funny i've never actually seen that movie i saw it in um, the theater, and but, i feel yeah. like i need to to give it a watch sometime um but anyway uh, sorry I, I took you away from your point no 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 i just I, 
it's this thing of like, yes, that director directed a lot of these types of films, but all directors are directors. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't think qualifying them. You know, I wouldn't. I love George Romero, but I wouldn't just say he's a horror director. Like, yeah. even though that's what he's known for. Um, it's the same way. With, like, if you were talking about, um, oh, I can't believe I just blanked out his name. Director of Alien Three, Fincher. Fincher. Yeah. If you were like, oh, he's just a music video director. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, no, you're right. Or or psychological thriller director because he's done other things too. Because but yeah. like, yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. So this guy, yeah, yeah he uh, he did a lot of different things, and this happens to be a film that has a limited cast by design, but you have to believe the action for the movie to even work right. So, and I didn't realize there's actually a number of miniature shots in this film too. Like that's actually kind of impressive. Uh, considering that I honestly thought they're like, you know, Cannon's probably like, just buy a train and run it at shit is what I felt like was what they're going to be like. It's fine. We'll just, we literally, you guys told us this film's called Runaway Train. Just go, you know, um, but. They actually yeah. hired a little version of uh, John Voight. <laughs> John Voight, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you, you would talk about like people working in other genres that were known as like accomplished filmmakers. This, So this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the timelines mixed up here. So again, I apologize. This, this script was originally written by Kira Kurosawa in the 60s. Um, so you talk about someone who is identified with a certain type of genre and a certain type of, you know, yeah. background. And that's that's the funny thing is, is that I, uh, I have to make the confession, for as much as he, he was an influence on, say, George Lucas for Star Wars and how much I love Star Wars, I've never seen an Akira Kurosawa film. I, I need to see more. I saw Rashomon when I was in college, mm-hmm. and it was really cool. Like, it, like for the time in which that film was made and what it was trying to do narratively, it was so far ahead of so much stuff. It was great. And I know, oh, um, what's the one? The Hidden Fortress? I need to see yeah. that. Like, Because I've seen scenes of that where arrows go flying by the main actor, and they hit the boards behind him. So there are really people firing arrows. Like, this isn't just like... It, they were hitting their mark, and he knew where he had to stand. Otherwise, he's going to get hit by arrows. Like that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this was a script by Kurosawa uh, that he kept trying to get put together, put together, and just never, never came together in the '60s. And then by the time, you know, it just kind of he moved on to something else. He moved on to he actually got the opportunity to make Torah, 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 I believe. Uh, so the thing just kind of sat. So then I was brought in like the I forget how this got brought into canon, but the script was changed a little bit. Um, that like uh, the main character that John Voight played, he was changed from a murderer to a thief in the film because they wanted to make him still more sympathetic. I'm not saying he's sympathetic as a character, but something I where I read that, and I just I don't know that I even picked up on what his crime was in the film. So it's, yeah. it's completely, in my opinion, it, it's completely well unimportant could, to the story. Anyways, the important part is, is that he's been in solitary confinement for far too long for three years in a welded cell yeah yeah like that's something that gets like glossed glossed over over, but like so so yeah uh this you know anyway this this film had been kind of like the the script had been around for a while and it got picked up and yeah in so then this we'll talk about this at the very end uh but canon was always trying to chase that like industry um acceptance Right. Mm-hmm. So like they're they're they've they in the book I've been reading, I know I've been reading over the course of the year, uh the and I'll mention the title again here, the Hollywood A Go Go, the true story of the Canon Film Empire by Andrew Yule. Uh he paints this picture of them like so much smoke and mirrors of them saying, Well, we're the one major studio that puts out the most pictures per year and he goes through and does the math, he's like, No. <laughs> and he's like <laughs> and it's just it, like he basically like you know, but 
each time they they eventually got a foothold and were considered a major studio. But if there was ten studios out there considered the majors, they were number ten at a very distant ten. So they were, but they were always trying to like play with the big boys and be taken seriously. So they would end up like taking flyers out on different projects, and you could tell that um, Malcolm Golan, as much as his vision might be um, a bit askew, because I think that his yeah, his his vision of making films is, is different, and the Apple certainly showed that. Now we're going to talk about Delta Force uh, next month, which he directed. Um, he loved movies, though. He loved yeah. and he loved all kinds of movies. So for something like this to come along and them to, to produce it, you know, it shows that they still were trying to, to get that shot at like let's make something. I don't like using the word legitimate, but something that's not atypical of canon. So they because they, they wanted to get a film to win an award at, at Cannes. They wanted to get an Oscar. They wanted to get like a Best Picture Oscar because they feel like they did that. They arrived and they could just like use that as their calling card. And, I mean, that's yeah. kind of, you know, I, and it's a much different road, obviously, for the Weinstein brothers. But like when you look back at the 90s with Miramax, that was kind of how they went. You know, like they were... Yes, more art house, but they were trying a lot of different things as well. Yeah. And then once they finally got, you know, the Oscar nominations and stuff like that, they sort of started doing these prestige films, you know, and then they, they I believe they broke Dimension off into its own division. And I, I guess the model that at least Golan and Globus had set up, I don't think the, is the that idea far. of it. Yeah. yeah, the idea of it is like you know, hey, let's just you know, like and there's there's bits in the book too talking about how they started kind of getting this idea where they're going to do a series of films based upon fairy tales, and it became this whole thing where they found someone that had a background and was interested. So they're like, okay, here you go, we're going to give you this much money and go find locations. And then she tells a story about how she found all these wonderful shooting locations. They're like, okay, well here's a sound stage, but they were still trying to believe in her. But yeah. then, but then the money kind of whatever. But they were trying to still find footholds. And I'm not saying that this was going to be the film, like at least in the initial stages of being the one they're wearing their hat on. But once it was finished, they did get this uh, showing at the Cannes Film Festival. They did, uh, you know, they did have the early release because they knew it could probably get some Oscar talk. Well, I mean, both Eric Roberts and John Voight are Oscar nominated in the film for the film, and it's it's well deserved. And we'll talk about that more once we get into their performances. But um, I, I I gotta be honest. I, I guess maybe I don't have a wide view of Eric Roberts' performances. I kind of think of him as a one note person or character actor. Um, and while I'd say that maybe this slips into that a little bit, uh, it's definitely a different performance from him than I expected, um, of him. Yeah. And John Voight too, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, all right. You know, um, and uh, also to mention too, it actually got nominated for a third Academy award for best film editing. And I could see why this thing is actually, there, there's not a lot of fat on this film. Like, yeah. and that's, that's a, that's a good thing. You know, like, um, I will say that it also was nominated at the trainee awards and, uh, it won best train. That the trainee words, yeah. yeah. <laughs> best train, best train stunt double. <laughs> best train in a supporting role. Um, yeah. All right. So yeah. Like, like again, twenty minutes in. Let's just play the trailer for the film, and we'll talk about it, and, and um, you know, in earnest. So here you go. Uh, yeah. The most gripping and entertaining film I've seen in many months, maybe years, 10 plus, Gary Franklin, KCBS-TV. John Voight gives a fiery performance. Janet Maslin, The New York Times. A sensational picture, intense and brutally powerful, variety. 
the best action movie of the year, Jan Herman, New York Daily News. Exciting, powerful, and thrilling as anything I've seen in years. John Corcoran, KABC-TV. It's a success, a super thriller. Michael Wilmington, The Los Angeles Times. Again, and I'll send you out of here in plastic. He wants me to jump the wall. Come on, go for it. Thanks, youngster. I owe you one. Hey, Manny, take me with you. They escaped together. They battled the elements. They achieved the impossible. Smile, man, we're free! But their train to freedom was out of control. I don't know what happened, but there's no engineer on this train. There's nobody on this train but us. The brake shoes have burned off. The overspeed control must have gotten screwed up. Engineers do not just croak. You want to be a tough guy? You want to be a legend? Go back! Sucker, come on! He ain't getting caught alive. Let's have some fun. <laughs> You'll never stop this fight, you heavy record! Never! I'll kill you, man! You die, sucker! Don't make me kill you! Get it, girl! Man, he got Their struggle for freedom became a fight for their lives. John Voigt, Eric Roberts, Rebecca de Mornay, and Andre Kontolowski film. Runaway Train. And T.K. Carter as uh, annoyed guy in train uh, office. And... <laughs> Tiny Lister as, yeah, as Tiny Lister as security guard who likes to look at porno mags. Yeah, and Day Trejo as a really young but still looking old Day Trejo <laughs> uh, in his first film appearance, and this film actually pretty much probably saved his life because uh, yeah. he was brought in to be a boxing coach for uh, Eric Roberts' character, a Buck, which I don't. Rem- I mean, I'm sure they said his name, but I just never. He says the name Manny so many times, I just assumed everybody's name in the movie is named Manny. Anyway, uh, yeah, he brought him in to be Eric Roberts' boxing coach, and then he realized he made more in a day than he was doing other things. He's like, oh, I've been doing this wrong, and so he got involved in movies. Yeah. So that's great. I think that's a good story. Um, yeah, so we got John Voight as uh, Manny, uh, and Eric Roberts' as Buck, Rebecca DeMorne as Sarah, uh, uh, John P. Ryan as Rankin, the the warden of the prison, and I mentioned T.K. Carter just because like he's he feels like that's like if you think of like 80s character actor, yeah. you got T.K. Carter in there somewhere. Um, yeah, and there, I just I don't know if there's anybody else in there that you wanted to mention. No, I think more. Tiny Lister yeah. and Danny uh, uh, Trejo are the two big ones where it's just like... I think it's both of their feature film debuts. So, mm-hmm. and I, I was looking at him, Tiny Lister, and I'm like, ah, I'm like, I feel like that's him, but I'm like, it doesn't look exactly like him. Yeah. He didn't have that look about him yet, and because um, he he does a good like angry crazy guy. Um, so yeah, <laughs> um, but it's funny like uh, he and Eric Roberts would uh, again later 
what twenty five years later appear in a movie together. Yeah, they're they're both in the Dark Knight. Right? Yeah, they're both yeah, in the yeah. Dark Knight. Yeah, which with Eric Roberts having that great thing of like, I'm not going to die from this height. And he's like, Yeah, but you'll break your legs. <laughs> like, no, Eric Roberts is great in that. He so I I'm not all that familiar with Eric Roberts. I mean, like he's. You know, everybody. If if you know if you've watched movies, seen genre films, like he's he's there. Like he's in like if you remember the the series of films called The Substitute. I think he was in like the later ones as the main actor. I thought that was Tom Berenger. Oh, maybe you're right. Okay, <laughs> let's let's find out. Like, and the fact that I made that mistake, aside from the fact this pile up already, um, that doesn't surprise. Well, was me. Was Tom Berenger the original substitute? I, yeah, I thought you. Were- oh, maybe I'm thinking of Treat Williams. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, see, I'm kind of all over the place. Um, wow, I was going to look through his his filmography. He does everything here. Um, I mean, I mean, it's it's. I, mean, I don't say this lightly. He struggled with like, was it? I th- it was either alcohol or drug addiction or both throughout his career. And uh, I think that he had some pretty dark moments of his life. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, you're right. And I just I, I'm like a hundred like credits down. I'm in 2016. Like, what's going on here? Guy's working all the time. Um, yeah, I swear he was in one of the substitute films, but he, he may be. I don't know that I've seen one past like the second substitute film. He was in the Human Centipede three. That's one I'm not seeing, and I probably don't ever see him seeing that. So I, and that's right. I forgot he was. Yeah, I saw the trailer. He was in that. Um, yeah. All right. Anyway, uh, while we determine if he was in or not in a substitute <laughs> film, um, yeah. Uh, anyway, so John I, I, Voight uh, also appeared in a movie with an anaconda. So <laughs> he's yeah, uh, w- one half of the genetic coupling for Angelina Jolie. Just think about that. I just, I don't understand that at all. Like, like she's because he's like, so ex- extremely handsome and <laughs> yeah, she's kind of ugly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. That's exactly like how how could those two be related to each other? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I I can't. Maybe I'm wrong about this substitute. It doesn't matter. But anyway, so. Um, and then Rebecca Dormorne, I think this is one of her first films. Like I, you know, she's had uh, I, the, the what I remember her most from is the Hand that Rocks the Cradle. That mm-hmm. was a big thing. Uh, and then recently, I think we've been t- I don't we didn't talk about it on the show, but she was in the the TV remake of The Shining. She was the the wife in that. Oh, really? So she's the one that got clocked by Stephen Weber with uh, the Roque mallet. So when you say recently, you mean twenty years ago. No, I said you and I recently talked about it, not recently. Oh, as oh a, okay. You know, yeah, I no. thought you meant because like, I'm like I, I didn't. I thought maybe there was another version of The Shining that had just come out. No, okay. I mean, well, Doctor Sleep that's coming. But anyway, um, what else was she in? Yeah, Risky Business was like one of her big things too. I forgot about that. I guess she's in. Oh wow, the most recent season of uh, Jessica Jones. She's in like all the episodes. Huh. Yeah, and that's that's what we get for not watching. <laughs> I always think of her because it's weird. I was I was. I was watching ER pretty regularly as a as a younger man because it was twenty years ago now. But she was on like I don't know for like a six or eight episode arc on ER. So for whatever reason, I just instantly think of her on ER, which she's got very many more famous roles. But for whatever reason, my brain just goes to that. That's fair. So, all right. Um, I guess let's just get to the the premise of this. Uh, I, I you. If you guys have not seen Runaway Train, it's a hard one to get a hold of in terms of like it, it's like streaming like with stars, I think right now, yeah, and that's it. That was so the if, only if way you have, to get it digitally. Yeah, uh, there's no there's no way to rent it digitally. So it's like it was on Amazon Prime for a while. That's how I watched it originally. So it is a hard film to find. I do recommend like you can probably find the DVD for cheap, but I'm just saying from a digital standpoint, it's hard to find. Uh, watch this film. I know we're going to recommend this at the end, but do you know? Uh, and I, I just. Yeah. Uh, 
it's very odd to me that there are these sort of big movies from, I guess, any time period, to be perfectly honest. But, like, um, I'm going to go off topic here for just a second. Um, I have The Hitcher on DVD. The Rutger Howard passed last week. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I really want to watch The Hitcher. Um and we were in my living room, and my, my wife's like, oh, do we own it? I'm like, well, yeah, I own it on DVD. I'm like, we don't own it digitally. So we looked around. We were going to buy it. We couldn't find it. Hmm. Um, and then the only way, again, to watch it was on Stars or Cinemax, I think. <laughs> um, and so I was like, well, let me check YouTube just to see. Yeah. There it was. The whole, like, the whole movie on YouTube. For free? Yeah. <clears throat> which it wasn't like, because I know YouTube now does the free movies, you know, like a voodoo slash... Yeah. Uh, you know, Apple movies type thing. Um, but this was just somebody uploaded it, which I always, when I see those, I'm like, how does this get through? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> I, that's why I was surprised. There might be a rip of this out there. I just couldn't yeah. find it. Um, yeah. And it's just surprising. Cause like, well, YouTube also does the digital renting of movies too. So it's like, it just seems like this property is just sitting out there. But you, you know, would think like, like these movies, it's not like they're not well-known movies or at least maybe yeah. not now they're not, but they were still pretty big films for their time. I mean, yeah, I, I, you're right. I don't know. But so see this movie if you can. Uh, I recommend it. So basic premise of this, you got Manny, uh, who we talked about, who was like this um, really respected by all the other people in the prison, like prisoners. Like he evidently was such a troublemaker and such a thorn in the side of the warden of Rankin that he was sealed into his cell and like welded shut the cell, not him. And so we pick up the film with um, him winning a court case of being like, you know, inhumane punishment and they have to let him out. And Rankin's basically be like, he's the, the character of Rankin played by uh, uh, John P. Ryan. Like you just, you just hate him from the get go. But he also has like this, like uh, confidence isn't the right word. Just like, I don't know. Like it's just matter of factness about his view of life. Yeah. I mean, he's, He's clearly, even though this film is about convicts, he's clearly the villain of the piece. Yeah, but I mean, but he doesn't, he sees the world as like order and right and wrong in terms of his his viewpoint of what is, right? And so even though, I don't know, like he is the villain, absolutely, but like he doesn't see himself that way. He's the warden of this prison, you know, uh, and he just knew that if he let Manny out, there'd be problems. And also, there's the notion that Manny knows that once he's let out into general population, Rank is going to find any reason to kill him, like mm -hmm. just be done with it. So, uh, and that's so you got Manny out, um, and all oh, his one his one buddy. What was um oh what was his name uh oh I forget his name Mr. Clean uh, Mr. Clean no uh, the the Iron Sheik um was I, that the Iron Sheik no oh okay I'm like <laughs> did I somehow miss that. No, I think I think it was Conlon. I think that's his name. Uh, so he was um, he basically walked him back out in Gen Pop and was like, you know, they know like that the eyes are on him on uh, Manny, and he's like, well, I'm getting out. And so, it, it, which I quickly. honestly thought he would go along too. Like I was expecting it to be like a trio. Yeah. Um. So when he didn't, I was kind of surprised by that. Well, because like yeah, so. Uh, in the meantime, we ended up meeting Eric Roberts' character of Buck, who was like basically like a prison champ boxer, uh, young guy, good looking dude. Ha has he has personality, and he is, is like this. He's that guy who talks to everybody. You can get that feeling of like you know, he's not smart, but I think he knows how to work people. He reminded me, and and uh, this is an unfair comparison for both actors, but 
um, because they're both prison movies, but he reminded me of William Sadler's character in Shawshank Redemption. I don't, I don't think that's unfair. Um, yeah. He was kind of not the brightest bulb in the box, but is lovable nonetheless. Yeah. Like, um, and I, 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 I love William Sadler. I think anytime he pops up in a movie, um, it's always a joy. So I meant that in like the best way possible. I did not need to, if it came off as me demeaning Eric Roberts' performance, I it, it no, did not. No, no, I, no, I really I, loved his. Uh, I really thought his character reminded me of that other character in the sense that yeah, they're parallel performances. No, that's fair. So uh, let me overexplain. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, Manny feels he's going to escape. Uh, Buck, you know, helps him out to a, to a point, and then Manny's going to cut ties with them. Be like, I'm on my own, and Buck's like, I want to go with you. So then. They're off to the races, and they end up. So this prison's like a supermax. Not even supermax. That's not even the right word. It, the play. It, basically, the prison is a max security prison, but it's like located in Alaska, so you don't need much security on the outside of it. Yeah, there's because it's there. Alaska, yeah. and like, and there's only been like two other people who have escaped from the prison, but they never really made it. It managed to escape three times. Yeah. So this would be his third time. So he knows what it takes to escape. They end up out in like the the you know the winters of, of Alaska and then they come across a train yard and they see a train that's heading out they immediately get on it and they're going to stow away but then in the, in the most canon thing possible as the train's getting ready to leave the station the conductor has a heart attack and falls off the side of the train while trying to hit the brakes to stop it causing the brakes to burn off and then this train's is gone yeah so um, yeah, that's then this movie it just becomes a series of escalations. Fun fact, yeah. did you know that the prison from this film also served as the basis for the prison planet in Star Trek 6, the Klingon uh prison? No, I did not know that. It's not true. Oh. I made it up, but <laughs> you um, had me believe that. I'm like, and then well, and Tiny Lister was the alien that he kicked in the knee and it was his penis, right? Is that yeah. Um I just wanted to bring up a fun fact that wasn't true. Um no, uh, when it comes to... The prison planet of Alaska. Yes. <laughs> um, the coincidences that happen, that's that's certainly the big one. Um, I mean, it's the thing that kind of throws the plot into place or kickstarts kick the remainder of the movie because it's probably like a half hour by the time they're on the train. Like yeah. It moves pretty quickly. They don't really waste any time getting them on the train. Yeah, Which, yeah. from the title, I expected it to be them driving the train, like going to freedom, that kind of thing. So when it's just, guy has a heart attack, train can't stop, I was like, oh, this is not what I was expecting at all. Because I, I went in pretty you know blind to what this movie was. Yeah, and I, I, I think I... Um unfavorably not in the sense of the film but when i kept telling you this is a good one i'm sure your bar was still a little higher so then like i was hoping that you won't be disappointed by like paul likes this a lot you're gonna be like you know the first time you hear eric roberts talk you're like i don't know about this like <laughs> no i actually liked this movie quite a bit um so it, it exceeded your bar i guess like and that's again when we had the conversation over text of well this is going to be an interesting talk because it's a really good movie, you know, and yeah. we have fun with the other ones, but it, it's kind of a left turn because it's extremely well done. Uh, it's tightly written. It's uh, wonderfully performed. So, yeah, I, I can't. I, that coincidence of the heart attack is probably the only thing that I can kind of nitpick. I mean, there are things about Eric Roberts' performance that we'll get into that yeah. are a little. Not over the top, uh, maybe grading. Um, yeah, but in, in but it's part of his character. I was gonna say, once you get like locked into what he's trying to do, yeah, it, it 
it's still annoying, but it, that's the character. So, right. Yeah. Um, I, I put in my uh, my reaction notes that I always take that Steve cracks up at because it's just like the rantings of a madman. I wrote, uh, John Voight looks like the smelliest hobo fisherman. Like, <laughs> I put that down because he he looks wrong. Like he has like the like a like a scar over his eye, like a gold tooth, and like it just he looks like he's been just. I don't know. Like you wouldn't you wouldn't cast someone like him in that role now, unfortunately. And I think that was a good call because I feel like you needed somebody that could look gritty but not look I don't know who you'd put in that role now, but well, I that's I, that's you know. I was just gonna ask you, like who do you think is the person that you put in that role now? Is it is it Tom Cruise? <sighs> yeah, no, it's not Tom Cruise. Because it's runaway train, so it's gotta yeah. be like an entire no, movie it, of him doing it, it'd stunts. It'd be him being the warden running at speed alongside the train mm-hmm. right now. Uh who would I put in it now? Oh, um, that's someone that like you would think that is kind of like a, a like an established actor that could play something that, like this. Oh. I, I think of, and it's unfortunate um, because I do think he's a good actor. And again, this is my second ER reference, but uh, George Clooney, I feel like, doesn't get to stretch as much as he could. Um, yeah. I think it'd be interesting to see him do something like this because he hasn't really played this kind of bad type of... He's, he's not a bad guy. I guess, I guess a guy against type, except for, like, um, from Dust Till Dawn. Um, yeah. You know, but I think Clooney would be a good choice. Um, I, I Like, Liam Neeson's one to go to, but he feel I feel like he's done this. Not this, but he's played hard-edged, you know? Yeah, and he would have stopped the train with his bare hands. He would have. Like, he'd been like, I have a particular set of skills, and one of them happens to be an engineer, you know? <laughs> one uh, of them happens to be stopping trains. Trains, yeah. Um, I mean, you, you could even, like, I, put Denzel Washington in this role. That would be awesome. Like, he would be good. But he was in a film about a train that couldn't stop, cut Unstoppable, so that maybe he doesn't want to be typecast in the train <laughs> movies. Like, unstoppable train films, maybe. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I don't you know. You say that, but now that I think about it, I think like somebody like Michael B. Jordan would be great in the Buck character. Oh, role. it would be great. Like I, not that you have to necessarily. I mean, I guess Creed. Yeah. So he's yeah. already played a boxer. <laughs> yeah. Ah, well, but you just be, the only reason the boxing thing's important, I think, is because it shows that, that, uh, Buck knows how to fight and he's not afraid to take some hits and like, and he's actually physical and he's actually in shape, yeah. which. You know that that also subverts at the end too, because he's the only one that should be physically able to do the things that need to be done, but he doesn't. You know, so I, I like that there's that kind of like expectation, and yeah. then it didn't happen. You know, but I, I think that was important. But so yeah, I, so the the whole thing just becomes this issue of the train, uh, you know, picking up speed, and then the warden realizing that you know Manny and Buck are gone. Uh, and what mainly, I don't think he even knows that Buck's gone. He just knows the man. He's just more focused on Manny. And it becomes this whole thing of like, you have these different stories all heading towards each other, like a runaway train. And you also have the people working in the dispatch, like the guy that did the computer system stuff, like the head of the, well, the, not the head of the railroad, but like one of the higher ups that's been brought in, uh, TK Carter to yell at the secretary. I don't know, but, uh. Yeah, that was weird. That, that yeah. if there's anything that felt very canonish, it's the way everyone tra- treated the secretary. <laughs> like there's that, and then some of the music cues. Yes, the score in this film is great until it becomes synthy, yeah. and it doesn't. And that did not age well. But the other scoring in the film is actually really, really good. But that's the, when they're running across the train yard. You're that. I'm like, no, 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 no. We don't need that. We had this leftover from Death Wish three, so we're gonna put it here. Yeah. So, um. The, the brutality of this film, 
uh, not only do you for, you know, have the, the boxing match, which then breaks out into a riot because someone tries, someone's being put up by the warden, trying to kill Manny. So then he puts a hand, a knife in Manny's hand. So this makes back to back years in which I've seen a film in which there's severe hand trauma involving a knife. Yeah, that is not something I want to revisit every year, but it happened. Um, like that also is good too because it shows that uh, it set up the whole thing that Manny can't do all this on his own, and so whenever Buck's like, "Let me go with you." You can tell Manny is kind of almost like sizing up as like, yeah, this guy is physically able. I need somebody else to help me with some of this. Like, yeah, I will say that the one thing that, uh, and it didn't bother me so much, but I, I don't know if you've ever injured your hand, um, particularly, uh, particularly um, the, uh, uh, the either palm. the palm or like uh, any of the tendons that go uh, in, but. Uh, I've not obviously had a knife through the hand, so I can't speak specifically. I thought you were going to tell me another time when you were being an exterminator. <laughs> no. And you're like talking about like a cockroach that just pulled a blade on you or something. But it, it severely limits like what you can do with that hand. Like you can't even get grip strength. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So that was the And again, it, it's not like it's dependent upon the plot, but there there is a moment at the film where John Voight's kind of doing some things where it's like, I don't know if he'd be able to do that with his hand. But again, you're you're so caught up in the tension and the drama of it that you don't really think about it. So. Well, that and also I think it's been established that like, you know, you're in this like cold, so you're not feeling anything. Uh, which I mean, that all saps strength from you. And then also they found that like that bottle of whiskey or whatever it is yeah. they kept taking rips off of. So you know, and, and plus also he like I think I think he would make someone like Quint like think twice before talking shit to him. Like, I feel like he was that kind of guy that just like, he, he was just going to do what he was going to do. And, and like, he just has this, he, he just had the steel inside him, you know? And, um, there, there's going to be a bit of one. Actually, I want to play a clip from the film later. Um, that's the, the big speech he gives to Eric Roberts where they have a discussion about like, you know, about life outside of here. Um, it's, it's like three minutes. It's worth every moment to listen to, but just, you could tell he has like this resolve and he sees the world a certain way. So I think he probably wouldn't let a hand stop him, even though physically you're right. It's one of those things that like, I buy his character being like, yeah, so what? I got a knife through the hand. I st I can still use the hand. <laughs> like <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, action heroes of that period also, you know, endured far greater traumas and were still able to, you know, overcome. So it, it's not something that, you know, like hung me up in the movie, but it, it oh, was yeah, something no. that just popped into my head. So, so uh, speaking of escalation with this film, I liked, so you kept having the, the, the stakes being raised, right, with the notion that not only did the, the conductor, the, the engineer die, uh, you had the situation knowing that the, the lead engine was an older one, so there was no direct walkway up to it. And um, and then also the notion that I don't know if you know a lot about trains. Um, like, I know a little bit. Like, my my family's a railroad family. Not that that's genetically, like, passed down to me. I just think I think we won it once a monopoly. No. Uh, I think, like, my dad worked, he worked at the CSX for, like, most of his life. I had an uncle who's an engineer. Like, I always wondered whenever I see trains crossing, why do you see multiple engines on the front and possibly on the back of a series of cars? Mm -hmm. It's all for power. So if, depending upon the train you're going on, you might have multiple engines on the front end because they're all going to work together. And so with the real, with the realization that they have four trains all like, you know, full blast that, that does certainly raise the stakes as opposed to a single engine. Like, so when they have the situation later where they realize they can maybe break some of the, like the couplings and the power connectors, that all seemed very logical and like 
good. Like yeah. I, there was some for this being a, an action film and being an '80s action film and for being a canon '80s action film. There is a lot of things that happen to either try to prevent the situation from getting worse or it escalates that I all feel very like natural and appropriate. Maybe not the guy dying of a heart attack, but again, it's a heart attack. The guy tried to stop the train yeah. and tried to warn people, but he fell off and died. I like that the one guy that saw the dead conductor and then saw the train just shooting by through the yard with sparks flying and throwing pieces off. And the one piece hits the snow and is like showing steam. He tries reaching for it. He's like, ah, that's hot. I'm like, yeah. you literally work around trains and you just saw what happened. <laughs> Why would you be reaching for that train part? But whatever, you know. Um, I liked all that. I liked uh, there the whole thing of the guy running the switchboard, like the guy who was the software guy. Uh, how he at first he was like, we got this no problem, and how they kept trying to do like these different like switch tracks to get the train off course yeah. or someplace else. Uh, I, th- I thought that was all cool, and then there was the near ten- the tension of the one train on the same track that felt like great. And how like you know you were wondering are they going to make it? Are they going to clear it? Uh, and then they had the, the older you know this guy. It's the actor how oh, the old man who was the, the switch operator that was out looking at the train coming and then threw the switch to get it back on track. He was like in oh he was like an old character actor. Um, I know who you're talking about, and I was actually just gonna look him up right I feel, now. I feel so. like because he wasn't he wasn't blue from old school. He's not blue from old school, but, but he is the preacher in Halloween Four, which is one of my favorite. That's bits right. In that movie. That's right. He's the one drinking, and, I, and yeah. I as I was watching this film, knowing like listening to him on, uh, having listened to him in that scene many times in Halloween Four, I almost thought that he was dubbed in this <laughs> film because it does not sound like him. Um, was it? Is it Hank? No, that's, no, that's not Hank Warden. I just looked him up. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, Engineer Eastbound 12, I think that was him. Our signal maintainer. Uh, anyway. Um, but yeah, because that guy, I was like, I've seen him in everything. Uh, and I thought I feel it was like funny. even at some point he was doing like, towards the end, I feel like he was doing bits on Conan O'Brien a lot. And I could be wrong on that, but. Well, because was he Oldie Olson? Is that the character you played on there? Because that's what have been who, who would have been. It's possible. It, um, anyway, yeah, uh, but I, yeah, I saw him and I'm like, I know that guy, and I, I should have probably looked him up before we even started recording. But anyway, I, I speaking to like, so he they they called him out to, to operate the switch to get the train on the other spur, and then he heard the train whistle, so he's like, guys, there's a problem. There's someone on this train, and they're like, okay, old man, you better go back out and switch the track back. It's like, oh, so you could you you're putting your faith in this old man running across the snow and hitting a switch, and that's gonna be okay. But I know I, I so like that. I, yeah. I found him. Okay. Um, he's he's in a ton of things. I mean, he's he's a bit part in like the Wedding Singer. Um, he was he's on like every television show. It looks like in the late eighties, early nineties. Um, so what's what's his what's the actor's name? The actor's name is uh, Carmen Philpi, F I L P I. Oh. Um, and the, the easiest way for me to find him was is I went to Halloween Four and just looked him up <laughs> that way. Um, but he's he's old man Withers in uh, the Scooby Doo flashback in, uh, in Wayne's, Wayne's World. World. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I mean, he's in everything. Married with Children, Roseanne. Um, like he's been in bit parts. Everything you've probably seen him in. He's one of those actors that you would say like, I know that guy. You know, like yeah. Oh, it's that guy. 
He was uh, in Growing Pains. Uh, he's in The Messenger and Beetlejuice. Well, it's funny because I finally found him on IMDb, and his picture is like of him from like in like. Yeah, I had like, to click on him because I'm like. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, he was he was in a ton of things, and uh, I mean, geez, like. I feel like there's at least 30 credits after Runaway Train and a ton before it. So he's Hobo Jack in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. There it is. <laughs> She'll be coming around the mountain. Yeah. So anyway, I know we spent too much time. Carmen uh, uh, Philby, you know. Like, we, sp- we spent far much more time on him than, than the director probably of the Re- film. Rebecca yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, Rebecca DeMornay, which we should mention her. She was the, So that's the other thing, too, smart about the film, that they actually had her um, – fall asleep in one of the the, the uh, you know engines because she was working on the train and she's trying to catch a nap and so this thing's like you know obviously speeding and she is stuck on it as well and so whenever Buck and Manny find her uh, that also raises the tensions as well because uh, what did what did um, what did Manny call Buck earlier to that like because they're talking about the rap sheets and what they did what did he call him do you remember I don't remember he, called him, he was like no he said uh, he said something, and uh, no, I think he called him a rapo. I think he called, <laughs> and, I think he called Eric Roberts a rapo. I, I must have missed that somehow. Yeah, because um, he's like, and he was like, he's like, oh, well, I'm no rapo. He's like, it was, she was 15. It was statutory. Oh, no, that's right. And, he and, does. Okay. And, and he's like, yeah, like basically, like, yeah. okay, you know. But he called him a called him a rapo. So I put in my notes, uh, Eric Rapo Roberts. <laughs> Yeah, uh, um, yeah, I remember the discussion about the statutory, but I completely somehow missed the term rapo. Yeah, so so when Rebecca Mornay shows up, uh, uh, Buck is like uh, the only person on this whole train is a woman. How lucky can I get? I think is what he says something like that. Yeah. He says something really inappropriate, and then he says something even worse later. Yeah, uh, and by later I mean like thirty seconds, seconds later. later. Um, I, th- there's different bits of dialogue I wrote while while uh, watching this. One of them was just do what I tell you. Don't crap on yourself. It's yeah. Fun. <laughs> which i actually think is fair yeah um but yeah so i i do i do like that that there's the shifting um trust that goes on in the cab between the three of them mm-hmm. she's scared and then you know but then they also realize that like she has knowledge of what to do and so they that she becomes an asset but then you see you see these flashes of like humanity come out of manny and buck but they're not good people you know, but I don't, I think the point of the film is that they're still bad people, but even then, they they still had to do some some moments of like kindness and her, you know, heroism in the middle of all this. Yeah. Um and I, I mean, so her, whatever you know, had Eric Roberts basically just being like, "Oh, you, I'm, you know, we're going to have sex now," and she's like, "No," you know, and he says something really inappropriate for that, and then later on. Uh, whenever uh, Manny and Buck have a big like, you know, they they they're coming to blows. Um, she actually tries to get Buck to kill Manny, like, yeah. and like, and it's like this whole thing of like, I just I don't know, like it was a really interesting dynamic, and I feel like with the way women are portrayed, sometimes not sometimes a lot of times in the eighties films, even though she did have her moments of like panic, which I think is realistic because you're on a train that can't stop and you're in a cab cabin with two known criminals that are escaping prison. I think you're allowed to break down. I think that's a fair thing. Yeah. They still, they didn't make her like the damsel in distress. They didn't make her like weak. They just made, you know, and, but she was knowledgeable. Uh, she was resourceful. 
she held her own event. Like in, I, I liked her performance in this. Well, it's also a very unglamorous role. I mean, oh, she's everybody's covered in soot and grit and yeah. everything. Yeah. Um, she's really good in the movie. Um, to the point where I honestly, when she first came out, I didn't realize it was her. I knew she's in the movie, but I'm like, I did not recognize her. Um, and I, I don't know. Like she, she's clearly the character who has the knowledge in most of the scenes. At the same time, there is a moment where like they are kind of resigned to their fate, and she's just sort of like she does fall into that eighty trope of eighties trope of like any port in the storm kind of thing where she snuggles up to Eric Roberts is like, I don't want to die alone. Yeah. So, I mean, she, again, it's, it's, it's very light compared to what we've seen in other Canon films and other eighties films. But, no, that's, that's fair. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's still there. Unfortunately. Oh, another quote I felt I had I wrote down was I ain't got no money like Michael Jackson. I think someone wrote, like, <laughs> like oh well, that, that's true. Um, so so we're talking about like escalation. So then in terms of like the train, they now realize like the the people that are trying to like figure out what's going on with this. They realize there's people on it, so they just can't derail it, which was the plan. Uh, and then although I don't yeah. think that that guy cared that much, the guy whose original plan was to derail it. I don't think he cared. No, he later didn't. he's just like, yeah, I told you we should have derailed it. Yeah, no, I like I don't think he cared. No, but it was just enough people around, enough witnesses. Yeah, that, that they're he all like been that's culpable. horrible. Yeah, 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 don't. Yeah, you're the corporate guy. And you just want to kill three people, you know. Um, so then there becomes the, the worry that there's a bridge coming up that can only take 50 miles an hour, and this thing is probably closer to 80 or 90. So that's another good moment of tension, you know. Like it's that's why I like how it's like they keep making it worse, where it's like, oh, you've already hit the other train, and the front engine now is just it's like this just maw of steel and like sharp edges, and you can't get near it. Oh, and by the way, we're going towards a bridge that can't take the speed, you know. But it's good if it hits 88.7 miles per hour. It yeah, will, uh, the, the, that's what they didn't do, is they didn't throw a series of different colored charges into the actual <laughs> engine. Um, and then, you know, just try to get over Eastwood Ridge or whatever. Um, was it called Barton Ridge? I think it was. Originally. I think so, but isn't then, it then, then Eastwood it became, when he gets yeah. there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, so that yeah, that, so there, that's actually a tense moment. Um and they get through, but the, the the whole bridge, like, you know, you see it, and it does not look like it's going to hold up ever again, but it gets through. And then they're like, oh, by the way, there's a chemical plant coming up. They're like, oh, yeah, that's not good. And they're like, yeah. and they're like well, yeah, well, we could just send this train off into, like, oblivion, and that's <laughs> it. And it's like, it's like no one else will die except those three. And everyone's like, well, I guess if that's what we have to do. Like, so it just gets worse and worse and worse. Yeah. And in the meantime, the warden comes in to the operations uh, room and, and kind of like, it, it's weird that he would be like, Oh, there was a train issue. I'm betting it's my guys, but he ends up there and there's this, um, thing where he's just kind of talking to the, 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 whoever the switchboard operator, whoever his name is, the guy that's in charge of the software. And that guy tries to shout down the warden. And this gets to the other Canon moment where the guy he's like, we only got like five minutes to figure out what's going on. I'm going to take a piss. He goes into the bathroom <laughs> and it's like, as he's like, you know, using the urinal or the, like the warden just comes in and just kicks him in the back, <laughs> which, you know, if you're trying to pee, someone kicking you in the back, well, that pees everywhere, all over the place. Then he shoves the guy's head into the toilet with his own pee. Yeah. Yeah. At which point he then like tells him to wipe the pee off himself, and he gives him like a a paper towel. And but the guy is like just covered at that point. Like yeah, um, yeah. I feel like that's a trope from something, and I feel like it's not the first movie that I've seen where somebody got their head thrown into a 
urine-filled toilet with so. their own pee. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that, so how did you like? We talked about the warden being a villain, but what did you think about the guy's performance of the like the warden? Because I mean, he doesn't he doesn't get that many scenes to to establish himself. No, I mean he's he's a little Ahab, like Manny's his white whale in a lot of ways. Yeah, I, you're right. And so whenever he like you know has the helicopter out, like I like that they send somebody out to land on the train and it messes up and that poor guy's just dead. Yeah, but that also establishes like how lethal it is if you mess yeah. this up. But his thought isn't like, well, maybe we should rethink this. It's it's just more like, no, I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> like I just he's like, all right, I guess I'm down the ladder now. I'm not going to be that guy, you know, like. I just, but you're right. Obsessed, like he was, he was not going to go back until Manny was dead. Yeah, you know. Um, but I just, I don't know. Like the uh, the the actor's performance uh, when he was at, like just the way he carried himself. I thought he was just he he was a good bad guy. But he was just like so. I don't know. Like uh, there's a certain people that are born to play villains or play like these power. The power's gone to their head, and they're like the warden. Like he was perfect warden character. Oh yeah, and yeah. I yeah I liked his performance a lot. John P. Ryan, I liked his performance a great deal. So, all right, I know we were kind of going through the, the whole plot of the film, and that's not I guess that wasn't my intent, but that's what we do here. Um, did you did you hear the G- MGM lion roar when the train was going through the tunnels? Did you hear the lions sounds? I I, I didn't. I I I thought I heard something, but I didn't realize that's what I was hearing. I'm pretty sure it was the MGM line, but there was a lion noise, which, because uh, they said at one point earlier in the film about, like, that's a beast that's going to, you know, you can't control yeah. or whatever. And this isn't the first time that people have used animal noises to uh, emphasize how vehicles should sound. So, like, at the end of Duel, uh, with the truck going over the edge there, there's definitely the sounds of, like, lions roaring and other animal noises that Spielberg puts in there, you know, so... It, it works you know i thought it just kind of gets that subliminal thing of like this thing is un- it is a beast it is unstoppable and uh the movie roar used uh harley davidson's to uh give sound effects to yeah and, and train lines. it was a train noises that was weird yeah, yeah. Uh, so um whenever so um you talked about the look of the film how like like no one looks good at it because they're all gritty and, and grungy uh the, the backdrop of alaska and like the backdrop of like because it, it's 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 winter but like the the trains are snow blasted like everything's like this muted palette like mm-hmm. and it's like it, it it adds to the desperation of what you're watching um but then when you get to the bit when uh john void's character is trying to decouple one of the engines and his hand gets smashed in the coupling and just which but i i the effects there are amazing, yeah. But you just see this gush of bright red to shoot all over the place, and not only does it feel like, you know, that you feel like your own hand's going to fall off, it just seems it just makes it worse. Yeah, you know? there's also a, <laughs> not nearly as, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not as special effects heavy um, as that scene, but there is a moment earlier in the film when he does get stabbed in the hand, where he's yeah. talking to the guy who stabbed him, and he's like waving his hand at the guy trying to get like his blood oh yes he's like you want my blood you want my blood and he's just like throwing his blood from his hand onto the guy's face and it's it's i don't know that it's technically realistic so i don't know that you would be able to throw that much blood from a hand that's been stabbed but maybe you would be don't know never been um but it's still very effective (laughs) to the point where you're like oh god oh yeah. Um, but yeah, all of the and while there aren't a ton, all of the effects of the movie, at least, or like all of these uh, 
all all of the uh, not action pieces, but all of it feels very real. I yeah. mean, it's not you know, it's not uh, John Rambo, you know, getting um, uh, shotgun powder and blowing a hole through his his uh, abdomen to close off a wound. It's yeah. not, you know, which I'm sure probably is real, but um, it's not to that extent, I guess. No, like, Manny gets hurt, he stays hurt. Yeah. You know, um, Eric Roberts is, like, half frozen, running across the snowfield. Although, I will say that I think his toes would fall off. <laughs> yeah. He would have some severe hypothermia, I would think. Yeah, but he just wanted some shoes, yeah. you know? Like, <laughs> that, that Rapo just wanted some shoes. Yeah. Uh, no, so I don't. I don't know. Like I, this. If if there's if there's some nitpicks in the film, it's one. I the score, like I said, the the synth stuff, which I usually normally love, has not aged. Um, I, you know, I I don't know what else I'd put in there. Maybe like t- take some of the edges off of like the stuff going on in the operations office because some of that feels like it was trying to be put some comic relief in there a little bit. And this film doesn't need it. Like this isn't a film that needs. It needs to be suffocating the entire time and be dire. Uh, but I feel like there was a couple times of trying to be a little jokey. Yeah, and I didn't, that didn't need to happen. Um, I, I, you talk about Eric Roberts' performance. It, it's really good. Obviously, he got nominated for an Oscar. Um, it's 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 something that once like once you get over what he's doing, it's fine. But at first, it's very bracing. Yes, John Voight's uh, voice that he uses in this is very weird, but it's effective. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think this movie, like, there, it has so much going for it. And uh, before we talk about the ending, I guess uh, I, I want to play. Like I said, everybody, it's three minutes, so bear with us. But I think it's worth it just so you can hear. I think this is what I think this part is what got Voight nominated for the Oscar. It, there's a part here where before they realize that like everything's gone horribly wrong in the train. Um, Buck is talking to Manny about like just shooting the breeze about like all he's, these plans he has yeah, and about what he wants to do once they get off the train. So I'm going to play that because uh, th- there's, there's power in this and I think get across like why you guys should check out this film. Hey man, I know this jug outside Frisco. Good for half a meal. They ain't a payroll for S. Ain't sugar. S. Ain't sugar is a big outfit, man. Yeah, that's what I've been dreaming about. A really good score, you know what I mean? And I'm gonna party. Ooh. Yeah, shit. I'm gonna go to Mardi Gras. I'm gonna go to Vegas. And I'm gonna go with enough money in my hip pocket to catch them fine bitches, you know what I mean? You know, I spend almost every night of my life dreaming about this kind of shit. Dreaming? Yeah. Dreaming. That's bullshit. You're not gonna do nothing like that. I'll tell you what you're gonna do. You're gonna get a job. That's what you're gonna do. You're gonna get a little job, some job a convict can get, like scraping off trays in the cafeteria or cleaning out toilets. And you're gonna hold on to that job like gold because it is gold. Let me tell you, Jack, that is gold. You're listening to me? And when that man walks in at the end of the day, and he comes to see how you done. You ain't gonna look in his eyes. You're gonna look at the floor. Because you don't wanna see that fear in his eyes when you jump up and grab his face and slam him to the floor and make him scream and cry for his life. So you look right at the floor, Jack. Pay attention to what I'm saying, motherfucker. 
And then he's gonna look around the room, see how you're done. He's gonna say, oh, you missed a little spot over there. Jeez, you didn't get this one here. What about this little bitty spot? And you're gonna suck all that paint inside you. And you're gonna clean that spot. And you're gonna clean that spot. Until you get that shiny clean. And on Friday, you pick up your paycheck. And if you could do that, if you could do that, you could be president of Chase Manhattan Corporations. If you could do that. Not me, man. I wouldn't do that kind of shit. I'd rather be in f***ing jail. More's the pity, youngster. More's the pity. Could you do that kind of shit? I wish I could. Yeah, I, I, I like that moment's amazing. Like, because uh, he, he's trying to tell Buck, like, you know, this is what you need to do. And and whenever Buck's like, would you do this? And he's like, no. And it's like, because he, I, I say what you want about me being a complicated character and not being a good person. He knows himself, you know, and like he knows what he wants. He knows where he wants to go, but he knows what he's not capable of doing, you know, and just him just being like, this is what you need to do. And if you could do this, you can do anything. And it's just like he's trying to be as real as he can to this guy that doesn't that probably will never get it. Yeah. You know, and it's just it's a hell of a moment. Oh, yeah. And um, again, I'm not you know, I've spent most of my time talking about Eric Roberts. I'm not a joint John Voight aficionado either. I mean, I can name a handful of his you know roles probably off the top of my head but which transformers movie did you like him best in i think he was only on the one Never mind. <laughs> i mean you know both national treasure films uh mission impossible that's right he wasn't the uh, yeah yeah he's in the original mission impossible and then everybody knows anaconda um but uh, when i see him i don't know that i necessarily see john Voight. you know i i see a character and that's saying something and i'm not saying that john Voight is an overactor or that he's bad in other performances, but I always saw John Voight. I don't know why. I just was like, oh, that's John Voight. Like, I yeah. didn't see that here. I saw the character of Manny, and that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah. I just, I, I, I know I don't have the vocabulary to get into the depth of, like, why his, it, again, his type of character is not something that you would, I just, I feel like there's some points of this film that just you couldn't make it today in terms of getting a wide release. Uh, this this is not the same film. It's not the same setup. But um, I saw Drive to Cost Concrete a few months ago whenever they had a limited run in theaters. That's the Craig S. Zoller film that has um, uh, Vince... Um, Vaughn? Vince Vaughn. Well, I was going to say Vince Gill. That's the country singer. Vince, Vince Vaughn <laughs> and Mel Gibson and... There, but there's there's this grit and reality there to some of the inter, the interactions that they have. Where again, di- different films, but that that film, the like Dread Across Concrete, has the, this type of like these hard edges and bad people making bad decisions, but mm-hmm. having these conversations. And so, and that film didn't get wide release, but it's probably going to end up as people's best of for the year. Uh, and it's it's different. It's kind of a throwback. And this. Like it just it felt good to watch a film that didn't apologize for what it was, was telling you its own story and challenged your you know, how you felt about the characters because they go from being criminals and they don't stop being criminals 
and they do, and they say horrific things, and they threaten, like you said, they threaten Rebecca De Mornay. They, th- you know, Buck threatens to rape her, and there's the, always the the constant threat that maybe Manny will kill her because he, though he's technically not a murderer in the film, you get the notion that if if if, if it's him or somebody else, he's going to usually choose him. You know, yeah, and that's why I said that yeah. I, I really don't think that making the distinction between him being a robber and him being a murderer, yeah is really even that important to the story. Like it's well, like more even, about desperation at that point. When he even saves her from falling off the train, I don't think it's necessarily because he's saving her. Yeah. I think it's because she still pr- provides use. And so then whenever they get to the big, you know, the big thing where the warden ends up, you know, um, uh, you know, on the front part or going to be the front part of the train with Manny and Manny's like, you know what guys, screw it. I'm, I'm going to use this hobo strength and this liquor and being angry. And I'm going to make that jump like from the, the second uh, uh, engine to the first that doesn't have a walkway. Um, it's like, you know, and he has a showdown with the warden and it just, that is so, I, so this film has a lot of interesting set pieces action wise. And we talked about that. But the way the film ends, it takes it like you expect, like you almost, if this was a canon film, you expect to have like the ending. Yeah. And this film doesn't do that. And it makes it stronger, you know, like, because you have basically another running out of track and uh, Manny can get into the main engine, hit the kill switch to stop all four of them. Um, but the warden, he has him handcuffed because of like the, the warden misplayed his ability to stop Manny yeah. and he has the warden handcuffed inside the engine. And so Manny makes the decision to, you know, cut off the other three, uh, cars and let, um, Buck and, um, or Beck and Warney's character, uh, like let them slow down and stop. And he lets his main engine just go. And, and uh, you know, and there's the bit where the warden was talking about something about like, you'll never be free. And he was like, I'm free. Like I'm free, you know, like just, he realizes that his, his, there's only two ways out of this is like either that train's going to kill me or I'm going to get killed by the warden or arrested and put back in prison. And that's not the option he wants. Yeah. And so he's on top of the, the train and it's this beautiful score. Like it's, and then you see like flashes of the prison. You just see John Voight standing like up with his arms in the air as this train's barreling into, you know, certain, certain doom. doom yeah. And the snow is like falling and it's just, and you don't get that crash. And it's, it's, it's really powerful though. Like, and there's, there's a Shakespeare quote that, um, I, I think I understand it. And this is me like being not smart, but, um, the quote is from Richard the third. It shows up at the very end of the film. It says no beast so fierce, but knows some touch of pity, but I know none. And therefore am no beast. I think what, What's saying in that that and Richard the Third is like saying, um, even even beasts show pity, but I show none, so I'm not a beast. I and I just feel like you know, is that the warden, like, or is that talking about humanity? Because even even Manny showed some, you know, he showed some pity to Buck and to uh, Rebecca Morday's character, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what like who who was the worst person? You know, who was the worst of the two? I mean, obviously, we, we want to side on like we want to side with Manny, but it's for a canon film to end with a crash not shown and a Shakespeare quote to end it. 
Let's just also <laughs> say that uh, a crash not shown because of not because of like they didn't have the budget or something along those lines. Like they're it was a clearly decision. Yeah, yeah they're, they're, <laughs> it feels like an art, art, artistic decision, not one that was governed by finances. And maybe it was go- governed by finances. Maybe if you know Menachem had his his druthers, it would have been like the movie ends with a gigantic crash yeah. in a sky full of smoke. You know, um, the movie's called Runaway Train, not. We don't know what happens to train, you know. Right. <laughs> um, I'm going to bet that they. It, it, I'm sure there was plenty that changed with Kurosawa script initially, but that feels like much more like there's a point to this, so we're not going to show that. Well, also, know? it's a very haunting isn't the correct word, but it's an image that stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Um, the last shot of the film of him just standing on the train, arms like, raised, defiant and being yeah. free. Yeah. Um, it's it's. Uh, again, I keep going back to Shawshank Redemption, but it, it's you know that shot of Andy Dufresne standing in the rain after he's crawled through all the muck, and you know he's finally free. Yeah, it's it's that sort of feel, I guess, is the best way of putting it. Um, and actually, that was one of the few things that uh, I wanted to talk about because I uh, I don't know that I've done a great job of talking about this film uh, this episode, so you know I, I apologize to all of you that I've let down, even myself. <laughs> Uh, no, uh, when it comes to the actual, because I keep wanting to call it a beautiful film, but it's not. It, it's it's a well done film. It's well done, but it's 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 shot in the way that like its ugliness is. Uh, they, I don't know. They, they it's, went it's, for a documentary feel with a lot of it. Yeah, and that that and, re- uh, like a matter of factness. Yes. Yeah, it translates so well, and that can be beautiful. Like because yeah. the the scoring when it's not like you know. 80s boop, 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 you know whatever like it works um yeah and like there's just all these long shots of the train just running across you know the landscape and it just i don't know like the like it can it, you could say there's beauty in in that because it is showing you like even even if they get the train to stop and let's say that the, the cops aren't there to arrest them they still got to deal with like alaska you know like there's no there's no easy out on this you know so like and having alaska that's where robert tepper's uh no easy, easy way, way out, out yes from, uh rocky four should have come that, in you're right see they like the movies were in the theater at the same time you could have just like taken that song and moved it over um they could were have one had, montage away from being Rocky Four. They, they could have had this train running in the background of one scene in Rocky Four and be like, "What's? <laughs> why is that happening?" You know? Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I could say, you could say this is a beautiful film. I would I would say that it, maybe it's not like you know, I I don't know. Cinematic's a good word. Um, like it's it's the best looking canon film we've seen so far in the sense oh, of yeah, like easily. just you can tell that they had a, they had a vision and they executed it so. I know we kind of went through the story, and I and that's my apology is that I feel like I can't talk about a film in the broad strokes. I always have to get down into like the the parts of it, but I just and I, I've told everybody to watch this film, and maybe we took away some of the power of it. But I still think even our descriptions of it doesn't get across. Like this film is good, and the the so the fact that the Golden Globes were like we need to get this in front of people for awards, and we talked about at the beginning like they were wanting that that credibility. And this film, I think, it definitely got attention. It didn't make money because um, you know it's a canon film. <laughs> like right. so, um, here, here I'll go. I'll read this quote from the the book, the Hollywood Go Go, that I was talking about earlier in the episode. Um, where was it? It's so. 
part of it here. I'll, I'll, I'll where to say here. Yeah, reading a physical book. Um, all right. The pity of it continued to be that when something with quality, albeit flawed, emerged like a runaway train, it seemed that the schlock-oriented Canon distribution team simply did not know how to handle it. It was here that the much-vaunted selling machine, so famous for their pre-sale campaigns, seized up. For a runaway train ran out of steam after just a few weeks with a desperate 3 million domestic rentals against a 9 million budget. Why? Had variety been mistaken in its estimation of the picture? In a way, Yes. Although it was indeed a quality film, the truth is, is that it never stood much of a chance at the box office. In a sense, it was even unfair to blame Canon's marketing, although uh, possibly that could have helped it gain better results. Um, the main flaw, however, lay in the picture itself. So this guy goes and says it's heavy-handed and allegorical. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's heavy, and there is a lot. There is allegory, and maybe, maybe the blame is, is that this isn't exactly you know a rip roar and bring everybody to the theater and watch film, but it wasn't trying to be. Right. And the critics dug it. Not that I'm saying critics' opinions are more important than the average person, but I, I honestly do believe that because it had the name Canon in front of it and the way Canon advertises films where they try to sell the sizzle, I think people misunderstood what this film was and didn't realize it actually had some actual legs. Yeah. And I think that's what happened. So this did get critical acclaim. Some Oscar nominations, not wins. Um, it just didn't perform at the box office. So... Uh, not that this film is forgotten, but it's not thought of in the same way as some of the other films of that time. And I think it's a shame because I, if it wasn't for Electric Boogaloo, the documentary that we talked about at the beginning of the year, um, and they showed clips from the film in it and talking about how like, oh, that was a good movie. I never would have known what this was. And so when we put together our list, I know you hadn't seen it. That's why I was like, we need to watch this because I watched it the first time and I was like, holy shit, this is like like punching way above what I thought a canon film would do. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, I, again, it's a shame that it's something that you're going to have to hunt down. Um, but, and I say this as somebody who really loves Death Wish 3, even though it's not a great movie. And I, I really, I dig 10 to Midnight and, um, you know, pretty much all the films that we've talked about so far, I still, it's it's weird. He's been talking about King Solomon's minds so much <laughs> since we talked. All right, about we it. can we can eliminate King Solomon's <laughs> minds, but for the most part, you know, I really enjoy the films that Canon's put out. And while I would say yes, you know, and we're gonna get to this where you you ask like, would you recommend this film? Like, yes, absolutely. And and we'll talk about that a little bit more. But um, seek this one out is, I guess, the only thing that I can say. Yeah. It just it's it's really really good. So, yeah, let's just get to these questions that we normally ask about when it comes to our, our parting cannon shots. Uh, is this better or worse than the apple? I think that one's <laughs> an easy one. Yes, obviously better than the apple. Um, it could have used a bim breakdown somewhere in the middle. Not really, no. Um, <laughs> or a guy to fly in Cadillac to come save them. That could have also worked. But yes, yeah, is better than the apple. Um, I feel like this is going to skew us for the rest of the year, though. It'll be like, hey, no. Um, uh, the Monocom Index is what we, it's our, our imprecise science of like, showing how much influence um, Monocom Golan had on the product here. Can I go like a negative five? Like- I'm, I'm going to go 10% because of the awkward <laughs> stuff going on in the office involving okay. like the attempts at some humor. Uh, and then, like, I can't really blame the music portion, but I feel like there was, like, we got to put synthesizers in there. <laughs> but that just might have been a choice of the time. But, yeah, like, the the, the sudden uh, heart attack of the conductor, which may not even have been a script decision, that seems like any other movie that would have been in there no matter what. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, just like some of the interplay in the office felt a little like, oh yeah, this is a canon film. But you know, otherwise, I five to ten percent, like not much at all. Yeah, I, yeah, I will go. I will agree with that five to ten percent. So okay, I don't know what to add to that because it's you, it's an accurate statement what you just gave. <laughs> the first one I've had in all the time that we've been. <laughs> I finally agree with Paul. Fi- people, yeah, mark your calendars. Uh, all right, would I recommend this film to anyone? A hundred and ten percent. Um, that, that extra ten percent from the Menachem Index put on that hundred, yes. Like uh, to find this film, like uh, it is. It's if you like if you like good films, if you like good cinema, if you you know aren't afraid to go outside your comfort zone and just watch a film, like because this may maybe you prefer horror films, whatever. Just give this a chance. I feel like I, that was a knock. Yeah, I was like, if you if you just all you do is watch, you know, the, the Freddy Krueger films and your name's Steve. No, <laughs> it's like. If you watch, uh, what was it the the what was that Metal Werewolf movie? Project Metal Beast. Project all you Metal watch, Beast. If all you do is watch Project Metal Beast. Give Runaway Train a chance. Quite enjoy Project Metal Beast, but we'll digress. <laughs> um, yeah, I would I would highly recommend this film. And again, I said it earlier. It's a shame that it's kind of limited to your ways of getting it. But just keep an eye out. Like I saw on Amazon Prime once. It might show back up again. It might rotate. So. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely check out Runaway Train. This feels like something that would be prime for, like, say, Scream Factory. Not even Scream Factory, but Shout Factory, because they they do a lot of re- releases or, like, Akina Lorber. Um, well, like I said, I believe sort that... sort of specialty I feel, house. To, I feel like Arrow put this out. Um, but the thing about Arrow is, is that a lot of their releases are region-locked, and not all of us, Paul, have a region-free player. Well, I mean, you can't just go buy one, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, is it available for sale? It is. It is um, 15 squiggly signs. Oh. At, um, pounds. So I'm going to keep an eye out for when Arrow does a sale and buy it because I do have a region-free player, and they're, I'm sure their transfer is amazing. So even 15 pounds works out to be like, what, like 20-some dollars American? That's yeah. still pretty good. So. Yeah, um, so you can find that. So just pay two hundred dollars for a region free player, and then pay fifteen squiggly marks for this, and then you can watch it at home. <laughs> you know? um, yeah, uh, and actually, the other thing, the cool thing that Arrow does is they actually have like their own artwork that they do as well. Which I'm, I, you know, I still like. I think I like that better than the the main production poster that they have. Like you could flip it around and actually have the regular poster yeah. art. Um, Scream Factory does the same thing. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, so find this film. You can find it, uh, own it, watch it, love it. So all right, let's go do it for our discussion about Runaway Train. Uh, you can find us on uh, Facebook at Invasion of the Podcast. You can find us on invasionofthepodcast dot com, where it goes to our blog. Um, I am behind on blogs. I apologize. It's that time of year where everything's happening. So I will get back to writing more. It's about- all happening now, folks. Yeah, it's my my summer is a runaway train, and I'm gonna have a heart attack. <laughs> and um, if I can just get some shoes, I will do better. Now, um, yeah, so that you can you can find the blog. I'm writing about Canon films. I'll write about some more Canon films. You can find us on, on Apple Podcasts, Google Music, Podbean, Stitcher, wherever you find your podcast. Please rate and review us. That'd be great. And Steve, how can people find you? You can find me at the Saturday Night Slasher.com, also on Instagram and Facebook under the Saturday Night Slasher and Twitter under the Saturday Slasher. And then August 17th in Bay Village, Ohio, you're going to see me at the Haunted Garage Sale, uh, something that I recently uh, came across in a group called the Cleveland Haunt Club. Um, I joined the group. Uh, it's a, actually kind of cool if you're somebody who's into Halloween all year long, which I know uh, Paul loves. Um, 
<laughs> I digress. We'll leave that alone for now. Um, no, 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 no. But no, they're no, a group no. that... Uh, uh, okay, finish finish your plug. <laughs> meets, and uh, every month they uh, do different things. There's also a charity component to it. Long story short, uh, they're having a haunted garage sale. There will be all types of vendors there in Bay Village on August 17th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Yeah, and no. I will be one of them. No, I just I people fine dude, celebrate whatever you want all year long. I just I I don't need to be reminded that we're we're going to have cold weather when I'm walking through a grocery store two days ago and I'm seeing October beers and when I'm seeing fall beers, it's not even August. That drives me nuts. And I'm seeing Halloween candy already. I know that makes you excited and happy, but it's bullshit. <laughs> So. And that's how we end our show. Yeah, it's all bullshit. It's no, all so, bullshit. Yeah, so uh, we're we're going to actually be taking the week off, um, just because we need to we need to just take a minute just to to this, let this one. You know, we got to get over runaway train now. Life's happening. We're going to take a week off. Steve Steve has the cutest reason ever. We're taking the week off. I have. I just have other things going on. He has a puppy. I don't have a puppy. Um, uh, also, my wife is going to be out of town. That's oh, well, a big part yeah, yeah, of it but, as well. But <laughs> had you not had the puppy coming home, you, we could have probably figured something out. Yeah. So puppy puppy wins. Yes, puppy like, wins. Yeah, so you have a puppy. So I think that you owe people listening to the show sometime next week to post a picture of the puppy on the Facebook page so they understand why we're not available. I'll put a picture of him up next to that day's newspaper so people know it's accurate. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> proof, proof of life, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. And then uh, we're coming back the week after. Uh, we maybe got something going on. Um, we'll, we'll let you guys know. We have some stuff up in the air, so we don't know entirely. But coming back for our quote-unquote 200th episode. Uh, not that that's going to affect anything. I think it would be like a 205th actual episode, but hey, who's counting? I'm not. I can't count right. We're going to be coming back for 200. Uh, nothing special planned. It's just another number. I Actually, you know what? I take that back. I'm going to propose this to Steve right now. Regardless of what happens, how, how about this? You give me a wheel of death for our 200th, like before we get there, and maybe you come up with like the six films to put on the Facebook page, see if people want to comment. Okay. And then we'll figure out, like, you don't have to watch it. I know I don't want to put you through the wheel of death. You always find these wonderful films. <laughs> because of Steve, I've had to watch Christian Mingle, Hellraiser Revelations. Um, I forget what else, but you found some humdingers. Yeah, so. I'm kind of hoping there's a sequel to Christian Mingle that I haven't discovered yet. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> me too. I want to know what happens to Alicia Chabray. <laughs> and when she's just up looking at God, talking to God, you know, whatever. Um yeah, and maybe they'll go back to that same little tiny uh, Spanish town that was used in the rest of the development over and over again as a backdrop. <laughs> so yeah, Steve's going to make a wheel of death for me. We'll announce it on the the page, and then I'll talk about whatever the hell it is I have to watch. Um, I will we'll watch. I'll watch it before two hundred, but we'll announce like what happens so people have to deal with that. So yeah, that's going to do it for us this week. Hope you guys enjoyed our discussion. Go go go! Find Runaway Train. It is a great film, and again, Oscar nominated canon film. Yes. I got nothing else. That's all. Just go go find yes. some shoes. And, and hey, everybody, just here's a just here's a life tip. Here's a life tip. Don't don't be a rapo. me